Hi, and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm so delighted to welcome our guest today, Gabrielle Blair. She's the founder of the award-winning blog Design Mom, which started off in 2006, and I think I've been following it since pretty much then. Also of the Alt Summit annual conference for online content creators and creative entrepreneurs. She lives in a beautiful house in Normandy that she's painstakingly doing up and documenting on Instagram, which is, I recommend you go take a look. It's fascinating. And last but not least, she's a mother to six children, ranging in age from, I don't know, Gabrielle, but you'll tell me in a minute. (laughs) Um, Anyway, welcome along to the podcast. It's lovely to have you. Thank you, Emma. I'm delighted to be here. And to answer your first question, my youngest child is 12 at the moment, and my oldest just turned 25, which I can hardly even believe. But yeah. So in different stages of flying the nest or... About right. to teenage them. Right. And back when I started the blog, 2006, uh, my youngest didn't exist yet, like had not been born. So it's just uh, they've really grown up with this. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. How, how do they feel about fame via Instagram, via, via the blog world? Do they just, they're just used to it now? It's like the air that they breathe. I mean, I think a little bit. They're, they're cute, good sports about it. Um, I think sometimes they enjoy it. I mean, sometimes they'll ham it up for the camera for me and, you know, and they know I'm going to tag them. You, you. Other, other times I'm, I know that there'll be a picture I post because I'm trying to like tell a specific story and maybe they, it's not the most flattering shot of them, but it's the only one I've got that's like telling the story. And I, I'm sure that's not their favorite thing, but it's cute. And um, they have and people send such, such nice things about them, you know, like nice compliments and people are... Um, in general, have been very kind to my kids, so that's nice. But we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about your your book, which is coming out on the 4th of October. Now, when I say the title, people might sort of have a bit of an intake of breath. It's called Ejaculate Responsibly, A Whole New Way to Think About Abortion. The, the sort of the backstory to this is that it came, or is it kind of generated by a, a Twitter thread that you wrote in September 2018. So you were saying it's kind of coming up for its fourth birthday. And the reaction to that was incredible. Obviously kind of predates the the sort of the, the recent um, fallout from, from the Roe v. Wade decision. But um, yeah, talk, talk to us more about kind of what, what has happened in, the, in the, that intervening four years and, and why is it a book now? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I love talking about this. So it's been interesting. So for four years, I have talked to people about this thread almost daily. And that's not an exaggeration. It is retweeted every single day, multiple times. I'll have people trying to argue with me about it every single day. Other people are really excited about it and trying to like, you know, spread the word about it. Um, so it has been a big part of my life for four years. And in that time, of course, I've written other things that have gone viral. I've written all sorts of, you know, I've done lots of writing, lots of, lots of content creation, um, been redoing a house, as you mentioned, all sorts of things. But this has been sort of a through line for these four years of this has just been on my mind a lot. And, and it ended up developing into a book for a few reasons. One was just, uh, you know, in these four years, I have refined the arguments, the ideas that I was presenting I mean, over and over and over, I've just had so many opportunities to, again, discuss with people. I, I beca- it became really clear to me where people were not understanding, what was stopping them up. You know, I, it, it's really easy to see 
where people stop reading the thread, like based on how they argue with me, you know, like, oh, like, really? <laughs> I'm interesting. Like, like, yes, I'm done now. I'm going to right. turn on the keyboard. 100%. You know, and it's a long thread. It's like, it's like embarrassingly long, like threads should not be that long. And it was my first thread and I didn't even really understand all the <laughs> stream you know, of consciousness. Right. And there's, there's kind of like, you know, rules of etiquette on, on Twitter. And I was, you know, <laughs> did not necessarily know any of those, but um, so it's really long and I do not fault people if they don't want to read it. And, but, you know, they'll, you'll hear from people that clearly have stopped at tweet number two and they always argue this thing, or if they make it further, they always argue this, thing. you know, there's, but mm. again, I'm acting like the response has been a lot of negative and it really hasn't. It's been by far more positive than negative. People have loved the ideas. Women have felt really, really, I don't know what I want to say. Um, they feel seen by these ideas. They um, all get emails of just, you know, someone that, you know, tells me they're in tears because they've been carrying the burden of birth control through their whole marriage, through their whole adult life, mm. since they become sexually active. And it just really never occurred to them that their partner boyfriend, husband, whoever it might be, could help them with this, that it should be helping them carry some of this burden, that it's as much on them as it is on the women or it should be, you know, and even things like it just has not occurred to them to say to their partner, Hey, have you considered a vasectomy? Just hasn't even crossed their mind because, because in our culture, and I, I tend to only speak for the, feel comfortable speaking for the American culture. So I don't know how much will overlap with, um, your own culture, but, um, just this idea, like it just doesn't really cross people's minds, women or men, that women, it's just a matter of fact, it's a matter of, it just doesn't cross their mind to think otherwise that women will take care of all the work of pregnancy prevention. That's just, it's a, it's a radical shift, isn't it? To right. kind of say, right. actually, what, why is that a given? Why is that the default? What, right. Why is it always on us? And why are we not having those conversations? And it 100% is. And, and, it, and it's not like, and I mentioned this in the book, I mentioned this even in the thread that I say, like, it's not like I'm mad at men about this, that they haven't thought about this. Cause the reality is women haven't thought about it either. It's not like, it's not like we grow up thinking, okay, my partner needs to like share the responsibilities of birth control with me at all. We just assume we'll do it. And of course I can't speak for everyone, but that is, seems to be the vibe. And of course that shouldn't be how it is. And, and I can even see how it has developed. Like I look back and think, okay, we now have um, paternity tests. You can find out who the father is of the baby that you're, you're pregnant with. Even if you were having sex with multiple partners, we have paternity tests and you can find out who the father is. But that's very new in the history of the world. Like this is a very recent development when we're looking at a historic timeline. And before that, men could literally walk away, even if they knew they were the one that caused the pregnancy, even if they knew they were the father. They could say, nope, not mine and walk away. And there's nothing you can do to prove it. Like there's nothing the woman could do to say, no, 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 that really is the father. He's the only person I've ever had sex with. He can just go, nope, she's, she's a slut. She's having sex with lots of people. It's not mine. And he'll be believed. There's no way to prove it. Even if the child is like, looks identical to the father, <laughs> it's not, they can just walk away. And luckily Lots of men didn't do that. They loved their children. They raised their, they helped raise their children. And that's great. But plenty of men did. Plenty of men walk away and plenty of men still walk away where they just go, nope, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm in denial. I don't want to know if it's mine. I don't care. And they walk away. 
And so partly I can sort of see how historically this could happen. There was no way to prove who, who a father was. And so of course the burden becomes totally on the woman to prevent pregnancy because mm -hmm. she's going to be stuck and, and he can walk away. And then of course it's so visibly obvious when a woman is pregnant. So like she has to deal with it. She can't hide it. She has to, if she is pregnant and she's carrying that pregnancy to term, she has to deal with it. If she's pregnant and doesn't want to carry the pregnancy to term, still has to deal with it. If she decides to relinquish her baby for adoption, still has to deal with it. Like she, once she's impregnated, she does not have a choice. She has to deal with this fact. Yeah. Um, and so you can also see like, oh, this is all, we, we can physically see with our eyes that this is happening to women. So it becomes this women's issue. But again, the world has changed. We do have paternity tests. We'd have all sorts of birth control options for men and women. And this shouldn't just be on women anymore. And the excuses that it's been on women should be long over, like should be long gone. And it should be a much more shared responsibility. And interestingly, um, I present ideas in the thread and in the book where I say men cause all unwanted pregnancies. And that is, um, is a, it's a bold statement and it's intentionally like, it's provocative. Yes, exactly. I want to be provocative, although I feel like I have very strong arguments and can prove to you that like, well, it's also a biological fact, but I, I, I state it in a way that's trying to be provocative. And, and it's interesting because the reactions are so much like, that's not fair. That's not fair. You can't put it all on men. And I'll go, okay. Cause, and they'll say, no, no, it's gotta be 50, 50, 50, 50. I'm like, okay, that sounds amazing. I'm, I think 50, 50 would be great. Do you it's think a great, that's a great negotiation now? tool? Um, like, <laughs> like do, you, do you think it's 50-50 right now? Describe how it's 50-50. Now, describe what you're doing that's 50% of what she's doing. You know, like, Wouldn't and, that be nice if it, was, if it was equally shared? Right. And then, and then I'll point out to them, you know, right now, you don't love that I say, oh, it's all on men. But currently, that's just an idea. It's not reality. It's, it's not all on men right now. Like, um, there's, all, there's it's, it's the opposite. It's all on women. Women are expected to do all the work of pregnancy prevention. Women are expected to deal 100% with the unwanted pregnancy. And no one's saying that's unfair. Yeah, right. <laughs> Vocally. <laughs> never, you know, I've never seen any tweets from you mentioning how unfair that is. You know, I've never seen you. And it's just this, like, it only strikes them as unfair when I shift the conversation and, and you know, reverse the situation and say, well, what if it was all on men? And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 alarm bells. They cannot handle it. And, but again, that's fine with me because I, the, I hope that all of a sudden gets them going, oh, it really is all on women. What should I be doing? H how can I release some of that burden? Mm -hmm. If my, if my partner, if I'm a man and my partner is a woman and she's on birth control, she's doing that every day. Um, what, you know, either taking a pill or she has a shot that's releasing hormones every day or. She has an IUD or whatever it is, and she's dealing with the side effects of that birth control, and she's having to get a prescription. And again, I, I can only speak for how it works in America, but everything requires a prescription. You have to go to the doctor every year to you know renew this, and yeah, which a lot of men are probably completely oblivious about because right. a there's never been the conversation, and b they've never kind of had any kind of sex ed that. Right. informs them about what's going on or kind of what the implications are or which is all you're talking about in the book and things like you know all of the the side effects which you know many of us you know if we've ever taken hormonal contraception yeah. will will be aware of but 
I think there was something I read the other day where there are clearly some people out there who think that um, uh, if a woman doesn't want to get pregnant, she'll take the she'll take the pill, but just like like the day after, <laughs> which is like, you know they just don't even understand the basic mechanics of of, no. of how it works. I have a note in the book that specifically calls that out because I didn't understand until I was having all these conversations. How many people, and it's typically men, think of the pill. They think of it like taking an aspirin or an ibuprofen, like, oh, you have a headache. And so you take a pill like to get rid of the headache. And they feel like they, they, in in their head, it was like, oh, if she's going to have sex that day, she takes the pill. Mm -hmm. Oh no, no, no. That's not how it works. She has to take the pill every day. And it really, she has to take it at least seven days before it's even effective. You know, like it it, it takes a minute to even um, get there, depending on where she is in her cycle. And anyway, she's doing that every day and she's fertile her egg is fertile 12 to 24 hours a month whereas the man is fertile every day all day long every day of the year every day of the month every day multiple of the times day. should they say choose till he dies till he dies he's never not fertile like once he becomes fertile he's never not fertile again and he is not having to deal with this at all so she's dealing with it all, every day but it benefits both of them it benefits what she's doing benefits both of them and he's never having to deal with it at all. It's so bizarre, all of it, like that she's dealing with it, this thing that benefits both of them, that she's only, that he's 50 times more fertile than she is, but she's the one dealing with it. I mean, just the whole mechanics of it are so weird. And then this is what has developed over time and, and all this energy, so much energy trying to figure out this, you know, when this 12 to 24 hours of fertility is, like every product that, Every new product for birth control is always like trying to figure out when this w- women are going to be fertile and like controlling that and just nothing trying to control this like ever present fertility of men. And it's just doesn't make sense. Of course. I mean, as you drill down and start looking at it, you're like, what in the world? Why, why would we do this? This makes um, no sense. <laughs> right. And there's things I've, I've learned. Like, so I've obviously done so much research in these last four years as this was turning into a book. Um, and one of the things I learned, like I, I knew just vaguely from my own experience and just talking to women that menstrual cycles can be unpredictable, right? Like mm-hmm. even if you feel like, oh, I, I have a very regular cycle, you know, my period starts every four weeks, um, that the research shows that like, it's actually super, super inconsistent. So even if you have like a very precise, your period starts every four weeks, the day of your ovulation could happen anywhere within a 10 day window even if you have like a very strict thing. So we're, the guidance I was given was you ovulate two weeks after your, or 14 days after your, the start of your last period. That was just sort of the basic guidance. And that's still given. It's in, if you look up at websites, you know, if you just look up, when are you fertile? That's the advice. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the average, but, but like it's not accurate for pretty much anyone. Like your, your cycle can change month to month and you have no idea. Even if you're having a period on this, you know, every 28 days, the ovulation day can change. It has nothing to do with how regular your period is. Wow. It's insane. Anyway, so the idea that we're constantly trying to predict women's fertility, which is unpredictable, which cannot be predicted, but never trying to like deal with men's, men's fertility, which we know when that is. There is no question. We do not have to like guess at all for men's fertility. Anyway, um, that's all super bizarre. And I am also just realizing you asked me why this needs to turn into a book and I never answered you. So I'm answering you now. And that was just, um, well, for several reasons. One was this 
I was refining all these arguments and I knew better, had done more research, like wanted to like explain further, explain where people were getting caught up, um, that kind of stuff. But also because not everyone's on Twitter, not everyone's going to uh, respond to this. And, and, and I have it in other formats, you know, I have like an essay, but it's um, like a book just feels more real to people. And so, and, and I think it gets taken more seriously. And so I really wanted there to be a book for people to like refer to it versus like, I can take this seriously. I can study this with my college class, or I can share, you know, if I'm a high school coach, I can share this with these teenagers in a way that I'm not just going to send them a link to a Twitter thread. Who's going to take that seriously? You know, like parents can read this with a child. There's just something about a book, but I did make the book. I mean, I cut so much. I just want it to be short and concise and really enjoyable. I want to be able to read it really quickly and, and um, just have it again, be this enjoyable read. You're learning a ton, but it's not like heavy, you know, that it feels yeah. like. No, so you definitely achieved that. It's, I, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't make a note of how many pages it is, but it's definitely, you know, something that you could, you could zip through very easily and it's all really kind of beautifully structured. You've got your kind of clearly, as you say, o- over four years, you've kind of honed every single one of those kind of pillars and, and <laughs> now you've got all of the, the sort of the research uh, and the statistics to, to back it up. What, one interesting thing, actually, which I hadn't realized um, you talk about, which is the, um, you know, the kind of the bleed break in the, the, the pill, the contraceptive yes. pill, which was put in there to try and persuade the Pope that it was a good idea. Right, right. It's just, just like, you couldn't make that up, could you? It's the most bizarre thing. Yeah, so we, so anyone who's taken the pill knows this, but you get a 28 pill pack when you get a pill. And seven of those pills are just a sugar pill. They're just a placebo. There's, there's no drug in them. And the reason they're there, and, and when you take those, the week that you take those, you have what seems like a period, but it's not a period. It's called yep. breakthrough bleeding. And there's no egg that goes out. Like it's not actually a period, although again, feels exactly like a period. And that was built because they, they thought if they built that in, that maybe they could convince the Pope that this was just like having a natural <laughs> menstrual cycle. Didn't work, but nice try. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work, but everything, every aspect of birth control for women and just this, all of it ends up being influenced by men who aren't experiencing any of this in an attempt to, again, c- control fertility, control women's bodies. And it's, I don't know, it's just disturbing, honestly. <laughs> I mean, presumably when 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 the original thread came out and sort of over the the last couple of years did you have an inkling that that we could get to a point in the US where Roe v Wade was was overturned I mean it was this kind of confluence of of the book kind of being announced at at the same time that that it happened but so the the thread I, I published the thread when one of our one of our Supreme Court justices was being vetted, basically, you know, mm-hmm. in front of Congress being asked questions. Um, Brett Kavanaugh is the Supreme mm-hmm. Justice, the Supreme Court Justice that was being vetted when I published the thread. And I can tell you, I personally did not understand four years ago and really didn't understand until maybe when Amy Coney Barrett, the you know, two mm-hmm. justices later was being put in, that like, oh, they're they're really gonna do this. Like I, a I systematic I like, process of right. yeah. And plenty of people are like, what are you crazy? Everyone could see, you know, if you're watching and I'm like, I I just I just couldn't believe like to me it's just like super villain level, like what yeah. why would you do this? And it's like I just couldn't comprehend that they really wanted to do this. Because, yeah. 
there have been times where um, conservatives have held the presidency and the Congress and they, they could have done it. They, there have been times they could have done it or it sure seemed like they could have and didn't. And so it felt like, oh, they're not really serious about it. But then it seems clear now looking back, like, oh, they were waiting till they had the Supreme Court because even mm. if they did it, Supreme Court could reverse that or, you know, like there would be, but if they have a Supreme Court, it feels more permanent. Anyway, so I can't personally say that when I wrote this thread that I was like, they're going to take Roe v. Wade. I just, I don't think I could even comprehend that. And then to have it happen is, has just been awful. And then, yeah, this book came out, sorry, didn't come out. It was announced, mm -hmm. like scheduled the announcement, and then they overturned Roe v. Wade like the week before. So I was like, oh, that's just a lot. It's <laughs> a lot of stuff right now. But yeah, and, and we even knew that was coming because they had, had had the leak the couple months before. So we kind of knew it was coming. But even that was like, yeah, but that's, I guess in my head, I, I, I remain a hopeful person. So in my head, it was like, yeah. oh, well, maybe Surely they, they wouldn't. It. Yeah. Maybe they leaked it to see the reaction and the reaction has been so bad that maybe they won't do it now. Or like in my head, I was like still trying to be hopeful about it. I'm thinking, you know, Chief Justice Roberts, he's not going to actually do it now that he's seen the, the reaction. No, it happened. I, I'm just too naive. I'm too naive. I don't, I don't really get I th it. I think a lot of us uh, are yeah. about many things. Uh, we, you know, we refuse to believe that people would do these things, but yeah. Maybe. So your, so the, I guess your hope for, for the book is that it shifts that conversation because it's, I think it's very hard to, for many, to have a sort of a nuanced discussion about abortion in a way that is kind of like, okay, we can get to a place where there is compromise. So, you know, in shifting the focus here, you're kind of hoping to get away from that very kind of emotive, emotional kind of pro-life pro-choice and and completely reframe that discussion you know that i mean i i part of this part of my you know discussing this thread for every day for the last four years has been seeing every argument that you can talk about about abortion and so many of them so much fighting about uh when does life begin and this is like a philosophical question. There's not going to be a right or wrong answer there. It's just not, it, it's not something you can prove. So much of it, you know, based in religious beliefs and depending on what sect you belong to of Christianity or what religious, you know, tradition you come from, you have completely different views on, on just abortion in general. So there's like a lot of stuff, that, again, we already know how much religion can like cause wars. There's, there's no middle ground. <laughs> like, religion's not going to bring us together on abortion. Like this isn't going to be helpful. Like so, these discussions, and then of course discussions about bodily autonomy and who gets autonomy and when, and and just so all these debates that you cannot solve. They they aren't they aren't creating progress. They aren't helping us move forward in any way. It's really just um, they don't. These debates don't reduce abortion. They don't. They don't help either side. Like no one, no one is benefiting from these. It, it's just no one is benefiting from these except maybe politicians who are, you know, just using this as a cudgel of like, if I mention scoring this, points. <laughs> right, I'm scoring points, even whether I care about it or not. So that is just drives me bananas. It just drives me bananas. And this shifts the conversation in such a helpful way, because all of a sudden we're talking about prevention. The book is really focused on preventing unwanted pregnancies. And I go into some, some statistics on like how many unwanted pregnancies 
you know, turn into to abortion. I talk about that there are abortions of wanted pregnancies too. And I talk about what a tiny percentage that is. You know, I go into this, but um, the bulk of abortions are due to unwanted pregnancies. So I, so I really focus the conversation on unwanted pregnancies, how they happen, which seems like we all know, but we don't really like, like, why are there so many, if we understand how they happen, why in the world are there so many? And we talk, I talk about kind of why they happen, how they happen and how to prevent them and why, you know, who can prevent them and, and why they should prevent them and all those kinds of things. And it's just takes so much of the emotion out of it, almost all the emotion out of it. Cause you're no longer talking about a baby or a fetus or what will eventually become a baby or whatever. Like you're not, you're not talking about that at all. That baby doesn't exist. You prevented the unwanted, um, the unwanted, the, the best possible outcome right. for somebody so, who's anti-abortion. It's like, right. hey, no right. more abortions so, needed. If you, you want to see abortion, if you want to see abortions go down, great. This is, this solves it for you. Here you go. Here's how to, how to make that happen. And if you are like, actually, I'm fine to have legal abortion. I don't care if there's a ton of abortions. It still solves things for you because it takes all the focus away from women. We don't, we're not, we're no longer trying to control women's bodies. There's nothing to control because the pregnancy never happened. So we don't need to control the women's bodies. And so the pro-choice, if you're a pro-choice advocate, you're going to love this because you're like, yes, let's stop trying to control women's bodies. Terrific. Hooray. Let's shift the focus. If you are an anti-abortion advocate and you're like, no, I hate abortion. I want abortions to disappear. You're going to love this. Here's how to make this happen. This is great. You don't even need to create any abortion laws. Roe v. Wade won't matter. Here you go. Like, here's this whole other way to talk about this. So, um, and I have found that I have had really positive responses to the ideas that I presented in the book, which I originally presented in a thread um, from anti-abortion advocates, from pro-choice advocates. Um, people get it. They can kind of get on board. It takes religion out of it. It takes, um, again, this like, when, is, when does life begin? Takes it out of it. Bodily autonomy takes it out, of, like shifts the conversation entirely and takes a lot of emotion out of it. And I also, I mean, I speak really frankly about everything. I mean, like, we say penis, we say vagina, like we say, we say all the words. Um, and obviously you should know that going in just by picking up the book because it says ejaculate responsibly. That's the title. But even that was very intentional because I feel like, and I, 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 um, I believe that the word ejaculate is just the perfect word. It's like the least sexy way to talk about sex. It's, <laughs> very clinical. It's not, not going to turn anyone on. Like this is not a word you use in sexy. You know, if you're trying to be like um, uh, being sexy, like you, this is not a word you use. This is like it's sort of scientific. It's sort of technical. I don't know. You know, like it's it's just it's sort of funny. It's a funny sound. I don't know. Like it, it kind of makes people laugh. And and like I'm a middle aged mom lecturing the world on <laughs> on wearing condoms, getting vasectomies, using birth control, all these things. And I'm not trying to be sexy about it. I just want you to like know what's going on. Artifacts. Right. <laughs> have you um have you road tested the book on on all six of your children? Were they kind of inv heavily involved in the kind of that process? In fact, yes. So so yes, they've all read it. Um, they've all read it. We've discussed it as a family. They as I was writing through different drafts of it, I would say like, okay, here's first pass, here's second pass. And they'd take a look and kind of see how it was refining. They've been terrific about it. Um, and remember they've been, they've been discussing this for four years. So my youngest was only eight years old when this first came out. My oldest was 
I think 21 at the time. And um, they've been having to like discuss this for a long time. <laughs> like, um, in the acknowledgements of the book, I mentioned my children and that like, you know, you don't get to pick who your parents are and your parents might be someone <laughs> that ends up talking really publicly about ejaculation. And I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but they've been good sports about it and, and really positive about it and feeling like they can, I don't know, like they, 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 that they want to share this with, you know, like that people on campus, you know, they're, they're university students and they want to share this with people and make sure people know this stuff. And um, so they've been really cute about it. But every once in a while, someone will want to like debate them. Maybe they're too timid to come onto Twitter and debate me. So they'll want to debate my kids. And I, that will drive me a little bonkers. I'm like, they didn't write it. They did not need to defend this. This is not, you know, they don't come to me. I'm very accessible. If you want to debate this, you know where to find me. Leave my kids alone. But in general, um, they haven't had to deal with that. So that's, so I'm glad. And what do you think would be the sort of the, the age of a teen, maybe even preteen, if to kind of be able to take all of this on board? Because, you know, I think it is, whilst it's obviously important to be kind of read and discussed at society at large, but it's almost like if you could get <laughs> get in there right at the very kind of get-go when when people, kids are, and young people are learning about this, it's, yes. you know. I would love to see it as part of sex ed curriculum. I mean, the way the book is written, I think 14 and up is kind of what I was probably picturing. My right. youngest is 12. Some of this is still over going over her head she's not you know like she's she's not sure what we're referring to or whatever like that's fine you know like yeah. that's totally fine and I would love to see parents read it again it's a quick read as you know and then discuss it with their kids and that allows them to sort of take the sections they think are applicable because the thing with sex ed is it needs to happen frequently mm -hmm. but it needs to be age appropriate so you can start at age five whatever or whenever they start getting curious about where babies come from or whatever you can start as early as you want but keep it age appropriate and then and instead of like it happens one time in fifth grade when they're 10, that's what they get and they're done. Like that's not really actually effective. So if you can, so if a parent wants to read this and then they've got say kids in middle school or kids in high school or secondary school, um, that they can say, okay, this is what, where I think my kids are at right now. And these are the sections I want to discuss with them. Um, and the sections are short and you can, you know, some of them are just a page. Um, and um, and maybe your kid's ready to read the whole book. Like it wouldn't like, it's my dream that you have high school health teachers teaching the 16 year old and 17 year olds, like going through the whole book with them, you know, reading it over a couple of classes. Um, I want to see high school coaches giving this out to their athletes, boys and girls, like, you know, like, every, like the women need to know this, the men need to know that, like this is information everyone needs to know. And then I want to see that like fraternities and sororities at universities, you know, like this is just like, you have someone heading off to college, you give them this book and, you know, whatever other gift they're getting for graduation. But like, I just want everyone so aware of this. Like, I just want our society to be so hyper aware of sperm, of what sperm can do, of when sperm are fertile, that, you know, like this and, and how to prevent pregnancy and how men can prevent pregnancy and do their part. While women are still, I still encourage women to do whatever they need to do to respond, to be responsible for their own bodies. But I'd like men to step up and do that too. And I just want this to be something we're talking about. And, and I, I want there to be this focus on birth control options for men. Like we could have more options for them. We have not invested there. And by we, I just mean like, You talk a little bit about that, I think, in the book about the, you know, trials being suspended because the, yeah. the side effects were discovered. And, and, and actually when you compare 
the very real side effects that, that women are living with. It's like, oh, you know, that's okay. We, we, we don't mind the, them suffering, but we're retired if, you know, the guys should get a headache. And then, or just like even things like, like I, I'm a big fan of vasectomies. It's been a, you know, my husband got a vasectomy. It's been a big, big, you know, positive in my own life. So I'm a big fan personally, <laughs> but vasectomies seem like something because we know people get them reversed sometimes, you know, they think they're done having babies and maybe they get a new partner later on and they decide to reverse the vasectomy and have a baby. And so we know this happens. And so it feels like, oh, that should be a thing. You should be able to go get a vasectomy, get it reversed get another vasectomy, get a revert, you know, like as much as you need to. And we're not there yet. Like it's, it's not really there yet. There are people getting really, really good results with vasectomies. I know there's, I've talked to two clinics that are getting 95% reversal success and 99% reversal success. So that's amazing. But most clinics aren't there yet, right? Like most, most people doing, doing reversals don't get that high of successful results. And so we're just not there yet. That, that people has, there has to be more training for doctors and, and, and better methods developed, but why haven't we, why haven't we in the last hundred years spent a lot of attention going, okay, what's the very best technique for a vasectomy and the very best reversal technique so that this can be a non-issue because there's no side effects, just none. Like they have your, your orgasms work the same after a vasectomy, your, you know, your erections work the same. It all works the same. It feels the same. And it's such a, and it's, I think there's quite a big fear factor for, for guys though. Right. But it, it shouldn't be right. It's, it's right. that's a myth. <laughs> Right. It's the same thing of like guys are like, oh, we hate condoms. We hate condoms. And then you start talking to men who are like, have used condoms and have like practice. And they're like, oh, condoms are great. They're the same. I feel the same with a condom or without. Once you figure out what kind of condom do I like to use? What kind of lubrication techniques do I like? You know, what size fits me the best materials? Once they figure that out, men don't actually mind condoms. But there's this big myth around condoms that all men hate condoms. And there's a big myth around vasectomies that they're scary and dangerous. And the opposite is true on both of those. So a lot of the work we need to do here is those cultural conversations where we're saying, yeah, these myths are dumb. They're hurting men. They're hurting women. Like, hey, if you're not ready to be a father yet, wear a condom get a vasectomy. That's great. Do that. Those are good, positive things. You don't need to be scared of those things. We need to be talking about that constantly. And, and, and especially condoms because condoms are the only option that also fight off STDs, like prevent, you know, the transfer where taking the pill doesn't do that. Mm. I mean, IUD doesn't do that. A vasectomy doesn't do that, but the condom does. So that's like, we all need to get super pro condom and not just like, oh yeah, no, I'm definitely in favor of condoms, but like, no, like in the same way, no one would ever ask me, are you going to wear your seatbelt when you go driving today? Like, of, of course I'm going to wear my seatbelt, like the non-issue. Yeah. Like it's, I haven't had to think about that since I started driving ever, or, you know, since I was a kid, it should be the same thing. No one should have to say, oh, are you going to use a condom or do you want to use a condom? Like, of course you're going to use a default position. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> and we can get there. Like we definitely can get there. I mean, the seatbelts is a good example. It wasn't like that. They introduced seatbelts and people weren't wearing them and didn't like them. And then you introduce the data and you run some campaigns and you teach people, no, you got to wear your seatbelt and, and they'll do it. And we need to do the same thing for condoms. And that needs to be led by men. I, I can talk all day about how awesome condoms are, but I don't have a penis. So it doesn't, it's just not really going to be effective, right? I need men yeah. who have learned how to use condoms, who are comfortable with it, who can teach other people like, this is what worked for me. This is what you got to do. This is how to get the right fit. Here's how you got to lubricate. And, yeah. and none of that is happening right now. None of that is happening. 
none of that's happening. And I really want this book to, again, shift the conversation, not just about abortion, but it's the same conversation. If we can shift the conversation about condoms, about how awesome they are, if we can shift those conversations, get rid of the myths, same for vasectomies, that solves the abortion question as well. Like, you know, like, it's just, like the, the, this shift in conversation, it, it solves a ton of things, a ton of issues right now. And um, anyway, obviously I can talk about it. We could, we could. Um, so yeah, it's it's just a, a a few a matter of a few short weeks before the book is out. Mm-hmm. I hope um, I hope you've got lots of pre-orders because I know how important that is, and I know that you're encouraging people not just to buy a, a copy for themselves, but to send a copy to to their senator or even to a Supreme Court uh, justice because you know why not? I mean, I I kind of have this vision in my head of them, you know, having a stack of these things turn up in their office. <laughs> That's what I, exactly what I want. Like, I, I really, I, I, um, yeah, I, I've, I've introduced a campaign to send them to Supreme Court justices. It's awesome. There's already like 15 books going to one and like 10 going to another. Anyway, so that's great. I'm going to introduce campaigns for senators and governors as well. And, and not, and of course, politicians, yes, of course, I want them all to get it. But I also want people to really think through the people in their community that, are having an influence on the teenagers and the kind of the youth in their lives. So is this coaches, health teachers, college professors who, you know, that that would be discussing these kinds of things, who, who could um, enable these discussions and, and and, um, influence people and like send those, send those people in your community a book as well. Like we will be sending one to my son's school and uh, (laughs) (laughs) encourage them to listen to this podcast too. Gabrielle, thank you so much for for joining us. I am absolutely sure that this is going to start conversations, not just in the US, but hopefully all around the world too. And um, I kind of salute you for for taking that uh, that Twitter firestorm and (laughs) making something really, really positive about it that is going to change people's lives. So congratulations. You're saying exactly what I want to hear. I would love this effect conversations around the world. So thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.